0: Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Off-Kilter Podcast. This is episode 52, and it is the fourth episode in my Essential Skills for Training series. My guest today is all the way in Malbs, Australia. Phoebe Henry is a chiropractor in Melbourne, Australia. She is an avid researcher, runner, and an advocate for women in sport. Her passion is research, but it's also in injury management. She loves to bust a myth or two and helping young girls stay in sport. She really wants to be a part of uh, this movement that's coming around educating and supporting young girls uh, once they go through puberty to stay in their sport. to help prevent injury in the future and we talk about her passion area in her work today and really where she wants to take that so in our conversation we talk about loads of stuff uh, as she'll say she loves a good uh, chat and we could really talk for hours so we cover her personal story uh, her history as a gymnast uh, and some of the conversations that were never had as a young female athlete in a competitive sport uh, around changes in body, body image, eating disorders. Uh, we talk about periods and breasts, which uh, really led her into pursuing chiropractic And now her passion really is within the female space and helping young girls stay in sport uh, to prevent injuries and to really support their body image. So we talk about her training practice today, what that looks like, her processes, her methods, uh, why she started to train with her cycle And then we dive into why young girls don't stay in sport and how we can support them. So we look at the research. Uh, We bust some common myths about injuries, hormones, and our breasts. We talk pelvic floor and how to find the right sports bra. Uh, As I said, we cover a lot and we really could have a podcast episode on each of these things. But uh, without further ado, I welcome you to the fourth episode of the Essential Skills for Training series with Phoebe Henry. This is the Off-Kilter Podcast. It is about breaking rules, listening to your ovaries, and coloring outside of the lines. Each week, we will connect and be in conversation about how to reignite your sexuality, feel powerfully graceful, and deeply connected to your body. All while navigating life. I am your teacher, Amy Kate Bo. Okay, welcome to the fourth episode of my Essential Skills for Training series. I am here today with Phoebe Henry. Phoebe, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited.
0: Yeah. Thank you for being a part of this series, this essential skills for training series. Uh, Yeah. I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, And really the intention behind the series was to bring together women who are athletes or advanced in their sport or their practice, or teachers or coaches or practitioners that work with females. Uh, All are and what I, what we're discussing and what I'm super fascinated about is the how to train, like the process and the method behind it and uh, actually like cultivating a training practice. Uh, and so today, uh, and I thought we'd start with your story about what you do, uh, the work that you're in and your personal story about how how you got into the work that you do and then move into your training practice and then talk a little bit about, you know, your work with females, female physiology. I know a few posts ago, you did some uh, buster myth instead of buster Moves. So I'd love yeah. that. I'd love to like talk about that, like cover some of the topics that you spoke about. Uh, and then I really want to end on the conversation around uh, supporting your breasts And I thought, I really love that post as well. Uh, And then, you know, we'll see where it takes us.
1: (laughs) Cool. All right. Just a little bit to cover today. That's all Yeah, just a little bit to cover today.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) let's start with, yeah, I'd love for you to share like what you do now uh, and then kind of go into your why behind it.
1: Yeah. Cool. Uh, Well, I am a a chiropractor practicing in Melbourne. Um, I focus mostly on um, like injury management. So in um, in active individuals, it doesn't have to be elite athletes, just, you know, it can be a weekend warrior, um, people who are interested in being more active as well. Um, And then I also have a a really big interest in injury reduction um, and methods that we can be implementing, whether it's in grassroots sports, um, or in individual like our runners, um, or in our more elite aspects, Training as well on ways that we can um, help reduce and prevent injuries from occurring, um, and doing this in the most effective and evidence-informed and patient-centered way, impossible because um, we know that that's going to be super different for everyone. Um, and that's where like the big female influence comes in. Um, so for me, like starting as a chiropractor, I realised there wasn't heaps of specific female-centred research, um, particularly for like our puberty girls. And our post-pubescent girls as well. So that's a really a keen interest of mine at the moment. Um, but I guess like going into how I got into that and behind my why. Um, I was a gymnast growing up, so I started at the age of six um, and initially got into it just because I loved being upside down. And climbing up on all the furniture at home, like, your classic annoying kids. Um, Just, yeah, and going to gymnastics kind of helps me, like, go that energy um, in a Phoebe type way. So from the start, like, it was just a bit of fun. Um, And then, you know, as you get older, became more kind of training and goal orientated. um, And, like, my max sales training was, like, 25 hours a week. So I wasn't elite, but um, I was still training quite a lot. And during that time, like I I suffered quite a lot of injuries, um, and I was quite lucky in terms of I didn't do any like major things. But the worst I did was the dislocated shoulder, (laughs) which ended up pushing me out of the sport at 17. But along the way, like I I did other injuries, and um, I suffered like a lot of um, kind of conditions or things that I was quite embarrassed to talk about um and it it kind of played through through my 20s as well and um it's had some consequences for me even right up to the ripe old age of 27 what I am now so um I I guess I had a focus on women in sport um and I can put it back to this one seminar that I went to and it was in 2018 and I was um, nearly about to graduate and it was all about women in sport. And I was sitting in the audience and it was, it was just topics on things like low energy availability, um, like period health, um, like breast support, uh, body image issues, and literally every single thing, every topic that they spoke about was something that resonated with me. Um, and that was something that really woke me. <laughs> Um, and essentially it was the big driving force I realized as to why I actually became a chiropractor in the first place. So it wasn't something that I really realized, um, I'd got into chiropractic for until really those late stages just before I graduated. And now it's a really big, um, like a driving force of why I'm doing this and where I want to take it as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a (laughs) summary of the past 20 years. Um, but yeah, that's essentially how I got to
0: where I am today. <laughs> yeah, um, and there's so much in that
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, I
0: love it. And there is so much in that. Uh and I like how it can take us some time, but we can always look back and connect the dots. Yep. And Good you know, time, going yeah. back to uh that sport, your sport that is very female dominated. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but there are so many gaps within the sport and probably still to this day around having these conversations uh, that, you know, a lot of, uh, it's changed. Uh, I also come from a gymnastics background and I had all male coaches. And so, and it's, it's changed uh, a little bit, I think now, but uh, there is there's such a different dynamic, I think, when you have a male coach uh, that, yes. you know, they're not taught about it. They're not taught about uh, puberty and the changes that happen through puberty to our hormones, to our body, to our hips, yes. to the Q angle, to our breasts, to exactly. all of these things that uh, affect, start to impact our, not only our body image, but our sport, like our performance, yep. the way that the yeah, body functioning. Yeah.
1: For sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so I love that in that seminar, they're talking about all these things that aren't being spoken about. That are a little, its uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Like we don't know what yeah. to say, especially if you're a male coach, you're not taught how to like navigate that conversation.
1: Yeah. And it's such an important part, isn't it? Like, I was really lucky. Um, I had mostly female coaches. Um, but even still, it it wasn't spoken about. Um, and like. It, there were even girls who were suffering eating disorders and it was just kind of like hush, hush, Um, which, yeah, it's it's a tough one. But, um, and then you look at kind of the statistics coming out of pelvic floor issues and that was something that was never touched on. And it's more common than not to have it um, as a gymnast and not just in gymnastics, but other like high impact sports It's so common as well. And it's just not spoken about. And it's, you have girls coming in women coming in and they're, they're hesitant to want to talk about it to you, even as a health professional. Um, and to me like that is just, it sucks. And I really hope that that changes. Um, and for me, like that's something really, like really exciting to be a part of now um, and being part of that conversation to help progress it forwards and start these conversations with our women in sport, our girls in sport, but then our coaches as well and our trainers um, who all play a massive role in helping this. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: It's so it's so exciting, Um, yeah. yeah, And I want to get into that, but I just want to pause on like what it was like for you in that transition. So coming from the sport, training so much, and having that training practice that was, you know, very uh, like rigid. It was like uh, very consistent, uh, and then dislocating the shoulder that put you out of the sport. Can you talk about like what happened in that transition out of that sport into like, what was your relationship like with movement, with your body, with like finding a new way to move again?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, starting, I suppose, with the relationship with the body. So um, I definitely had like body image issues growing up um, and that's. I was quite a, i was a very tall gymnast and very skinny. Um, and so people would often say, oh, you're too tall to be a gymnast. Um, and then to help compensate that, I would try to remain as skinny as I possibly can um, to give myself that performance edge or what I thought was going to be performance edge, which is rubbish, by the way, if anyone listening, <laughs> I was doing that at the same time. Um, but, and then growing up, like getting into puberty, I was quite a late bloomer. Um, and. I had like quite a, um, a muscular body by the age of like 16 um, and that was something I was actually teased about um, and people were like oh you're not very girly like um, and that's like affected me as a teenage girl as it was um, and so it was something I was really aware of um, even now I'm quite aware of it but um, then quitting gym like the the emphasis shifted from being strong to becoming like that lean body mass like more of your you know your typical runner or um you know wanting that really lean body shape to shift away from that perceived masculinity of muscles um so my relationship with my body definitely changed but my relationship with movement I was always more inclined to do more I like full body movement, and I love doing handstands. I still handstand. I still backflip. Uh, if there's a trampoline around, I, what if I see a trampoline? I just dart straight there. Um, if there are kids it, I'd scoot them off anyway. Yes. that's mine. How awesome. My turn. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, show them how it's done. Um, no, but um, I completely lost my train of thought. Uh, but yeah, so from like the body image changing, and then my movement. I was never really good at like ball sports (laughs) as I wouldn't be. And I still cannot dribble a basketball to save my life. And so I was trying out all these different ball sports and I was terrible at them.
0: (laughs) The only one that I'm
1: still like, I I was okay. at was soccer. And so I tended to play soccer in high school a little bit. Um, But yeah, I dreaded going to school PE and having to play basketball. Like I was terrible it's and so different, quite, isn't it?
0: When you have this yeah. external thing that you it have is. to try and to control, because oh, all the time middle. in gymnastics or dancing, <laughs> it's like, you're the body, you're the tool, like, exactly. You have to learn how to navigate your body, but then you put up yeah. this external thing and you're like, I
1: ah. I know. I remember in year 12, so I was just playing school footy, like school AFL. Um, and I was put as full forward, which for those who don't know, AFL is like the most important for one of the most <laughs> important positions. you got to kick all the goals essentially. Um, and because they're like, Oh, Pheebs, like you're quite athletic, go full forwards. And within 10 minutes I was pulled from <laughs> full forward. to right at the back of the line. Uh, cause they're like, wow, you cannot catch, you cannot kick, like, no, <laughs> this is over. Um, so like, although I was quite athletic, I was just not good at like, hand-eye coordination yeah. for, Um, which is something I'm trying to improve. But um, yeah, movement for me has always been more of um, like full body, being upside down, um, fun stuff like that. I think it's fun anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. So transitioning out of gymnastics yeah. and then like what did the movement practice look like? What did your training practice look like? You mentioned running. So did you get yeah. into
1: running? Yeah, that's when I, I started running and I, I still enjoy running, um, but I just do it for different reasons now. <laughs> so back then, like I was running um to maintain fitness and that was pretty much all I was doing. I didn't do I mean I did like probably basic body weight stuff, um, but nothing, I didn't do any heavy heavy lifting, um, which was a shift away from what my training was as a gymnast. Um, so then my body changed as it would, and like I was only seventeen, so um it was yeah it happened quite quickly um and then yeah and then my body changed again like I ended up putting on weight um as you do and um yeah shifted away from definitely more of the the weights to just the endurance focus um which has changed again now now I'm sure I do a bit more balance of everything um and I still enjoy to run but now I just run for for me, and it's, um, it's more of like a meditation, I suppose, um, than, you know, running to keep fit, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the running did that, because I know when you were studying, you did your major research project on uh, running mechanics, like the gait
1: or uh, the, was it the hip flexor or the, yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at how uh, like the pelvis or the hips move when we run um and whether that is like associated with lower limb um biomechanical anomalies, um, things like that. So yeah, my running I actually didn't run to be honest last year much. So I did that last year. Um and I yeah, I was just running was my life, <laughs> like on paper. Um and yeah, twenty nineteen <laughs> was a very it's just a whole new like whole other topic for me but 2019 was a very challenging year um, in terms of doing research um, I was teaching for a bit as well I feel like I was outside of my comfort zone the entire year um, and I actually stopped running because I just I, I didn't really enjoy it anymore and whenever I went for a run all I would think about was the research I was doing and so I actually stopped running.
0: <laughs> You're probably um, thinking about your gait the whole time. And oh, like, yeah, it's a pain. am I bio, it's, yeah, biomechanically oh, correct? And what's going yeah. on? And the research
1: said this. And that if my no. foot hits the ground this way, this is going to yeah. happen. Yeah. That was me. That was all I thought about. Um, and so naturally, I just wanted to stop and get away from that. Yeah. So I, yeah, I took a bit of a break from running, but now I'm back into it. And um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a different form of meditation for me, really. Yeah. And it sounds like,
0: like all through, so from 17 to 27, so the last 10 years have there been a lot of like shifts in like your beliefs around like training and what is training and what is movement and and having a training practice. Could you talk about yeah. like those, those shifts and like where you are now Um, you know, what does your training practice look like? And yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess, uh like going back to like 17 18 um or early 20s like I was still quite active um and then I took a gap year (laughs) and I went to Canada and had a great time um (laughs) spent my time in Jasper in the Rockies um and yeah had the best time and I definitely did not train to be honest did some hiking but also drank a lot of beer and (laughs) um you know lived the life of a 19 20 year old so um my relationship with exercise definitely changed then um, and subsequently put on quite a bit of weight um, and then came back to Australia and um, I got more into um particularly because that's when I started studying Cairo. So I was a lot kind of more aware of the influence of moving on my body. Um and that's when I got more into a like a training program. Um, And I would run and make sure I did weights as well. Um, And then did a bit more like mobility stuff on the side too. So I had a bit more of a routine then. Um, And then, yeah, I I kept that pretty much all through uni. Um, And then 2019 was just kind of the, when things shifted, Um, my headspace shifted and my physical health shifted. Um, And it was more on kind of, you know, things that were fun Um, which is not a bad thing either but it was definitely a different sort of training for me so instead of running or weights like I would go out and kick a ball um, (laughs) try to kick a ball (laughs) and just do anything that would help get my mind off uni or work or you know whatever else I was thinking about at the time Um, but again that shifted this year so got back into the running um, and I'm doing more of um, like a a training schedule i suppose thing that's shifted this year is that i'm also training with my cycle um and so that's been like one of the biggest changes to me um training recently yeah
0: yeah super cool and so how
1: long was school five years six years it was five and then i I tucked an extra year on um to do the research so six and now I'm back studying again, um, okay. so I'm doing my seventh year, um, but I'm hoping to do, so I'm doing exercise science at the moment, and I'm hoping to do um, my master's in exercise physiology um, as oh, well. So super cool. Yeah, hoping to be a dual choir on AP. Um, uh, Yeah. so yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like, because when you come out of like, uh, you know, a sport or you're being an athlete in a particular sport, there's this, uh, period of time where you feel so lost. Your identity goes, yes. yeah. you, you don't really know how to move any other way <laughs> other yeah. than like the training practice that you've been taught you know, and even then you've been coached through it. Yeah. You've been told what to do. You've been told, you know, everything's programmed for you. And there's no, there's not a lot of like, why there's not a lot of space and time to really understand like what's actually going on as like the athlete. Um, And so it sounds like there was this, this gap in time, which is very common that you just needed to like, stop. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like yes, you know, definitely.
0: yeah. And and then school for you started to create this connection to like the human yep. body and like yep. how it actually all works together and how it functions and And then that's kind of that helped shape a new kind of training practice. Am I hearing that correctly? No, that is
1: correct. You summed it up really nicely. Yeah,
0: Yeah, no, it's just it's nice to see these shifts, and and I think that you know for women that maybe haven't been you know an athlete or very advanced in the sport or practice, but have been stuck with you know this uh, the right way to train, yeah, like stuck on maybe high intensity or you know, cardio or running or whatever it is that they get attached to. I think for them, it's so nice to hear that. Yes. Even if you were an athlete or advanced in your practice in sport, you also went through that. We also go yeah. through that because where we become a specialist in something, but then we don't really know how to be a generalist. We don't know. Yeah. We don't understand our body. We don't know how to move in different ways and yeah. It sounds like going to school and studying chiropractic has helped you learn learn those things.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's been a big part um, of yeah my movement journey, I suppose. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it's been like quite a journey. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's one part of it because you know, and then I think the second part is just learning you're just trying new things and experiencing, you know, moving your body in a different way. And what does, uh, you know, a training practice look like for me, because, you know, it's not just about the training. It's not just about going to the gym or doing, you know, the certain exercises. There's so much more to it. Uh, And so I love how you brought that piece in around, you know what, for that year when running was my life, I didn't want to run. And so you shifted and you did something different and then now you've come back to it, but your why it's a different why. And then you mentioned playfulness and all of these things like the journey in the last 10 years has been, yeah, it's awesome to hear about because yeah. <laughs> I think so many females just get stuck in one way and they're stuck there for a really long time.
1: Yeah, definitely. And like, I guess I was as well. Um, you know, just a bit of a younger age from the age of six to seventeen. That was my one thing was just gymnastics, um, and so yeah, it's it shifted a lot after that. And then it was more of like a roller coaster,
0: <laughs> <laughs> up and down and around. And, yeah, the yeah. roller coasters
1: are fun, you know. So it's yeah. all part of the journey.
0: <laughs> so today, like today, what does it, uh, what does your movement practice look like, and what does that mean to you? Like when I talk about it. What comes up?
1: I think I I do different movement for different reasons. So like I'll generally run um, in the morning. Um, It's just like, I don't know, it just sets my focus for the day. (laughs) Um, And it's like, it's my time um, and it's for me. And I'm really lucky I live near the city so I can run along um, the Arrow River. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. It just helps put things into perspective for me first thing in the morning. Um, and then I do different days. Um, I will do like body weight stuff. So with the lockdown at the moment, um, I don't really have a whole lot of gear except for in the clinic. So I generally do my weight training in the clinic, which I'm really, really lucky to have. So we've got weights in our clinic, um, with gyms being closed. So, um, yeah, that shifted a little bit, but I'm still trying to keep the weight training up. Um, and then on the weekends, like I tend to not do any like organized stuff um I'll generally just go down to the park with my partner and do like some fun stuff so like we'll kick a ball around go to the basketball courts um and just like do something fun go for a nice bike ride um and so yeah during like five days of a week it's more kind of scheduled out and I've got my routine and then on the weekend it's just more about having fun and and getting out there and doing like you know things that I enjoy in the sunshine so yeah yeah I love that. And you mentioned
0: that this year uh, a new piece to the training practice is training with your cycle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's been quite a, it's so cool. I absolutely love learning about this and there's so much more to learn and I know that it's going to change like in the next five years again. But um, for now I tend to like the biggest thing I've noticed is firstly recovery. Um, So like my recovery is going to shift particularly in that phase four is when I really struggle um and a bit of phase one as well so I'll tend to just do lighter stuff like shorter distances um and lighter weights around that time and then phase four like yeah can be a struggle struggle town um but I just tend to have either lighter sessions or I do some extra recovery stuff that I enjoy like I'm not really a big stretcher or foam roller, um, but that's kind of when I tend to enjoy doing that the most. So I'll incorporate extra recovery stuff in that phase four, um, and then phase two is when I just power it out and I go for it. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been really cool um, to to learn about that. And I think the other thing is also it's kind of like if you're feeling off or tired on a certain day, um, it's quite comforting to know that that's it's just. of the cycle Um, and like for me that's been quite an important part of keeping motivation going Um, because we know that movement's still really important but if you're feeling off it's just it's probably just your hormones going up and down so um, for me like the education around what the hormone's doing and why your body's feeling like this has just been as important um, or as like key in changing my training Um, as actually like adding in those extra tweaks or that extra recovery, um, which has been really cool. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, where did the curiosity come from around it?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I suppose like I've always been aware of it, um, but it's been quite a new thing for me to incorporate myself Um, and I suppose like I'm quite a research heavy person, um, which is good and bad, but I tend to follow the research like quite meticulously. Um, but because the research is getting a little bit better now and we're getting a bit more, it's, I'm definitely starting to use it more. Um, but I guess like, you know, the people leading the way we've got Stacey Sims, um, uh, was lent her book by my amazing sister. Um, She actually introduced me to Stacey Sims, so (laughs) shout out to Eddie um, for doing that for me. Yeah, Um, and then um, like all the research is behind Fitter Woman, so Georgie is amazing. Um, Yeah, I think that's just how I got really into it, um, was just the evolving research, I suppose, behind it. Yeah, which makes more, sense. Like mainstream if you,
0: yeah, if you uh, come from a research background, and especially if you're practicing and working with females, uh, that yeah. you get curious about it. Uh, yeah. As, yeah. So yeah, I was just interested uh, to know, like, where it, where that comes from, uh, like the yeah. curiosity when a female starts to l- learn to train with her cycle, whether it was from like a pure training performance perspective, or whether it was just a curiosity around just her cycle or the research and so mm,
1: yeah i guess like the the injury side of things as well so um there's been quite a bit of research on like females and acl injury rates um particularly in the aflw here so that's been quite a big topic of debate in the last couple of years um, so i guess that kind of spruced my ears a little bit um in terms of the injury management side of things um, and then training with the cycle, yeah, that was just a whole new level on top of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember they did an article in one of the newspapers. I had a client, a client that I used to train in Melbourne, send it to me. They did it mm-hmm. in one of the Melbourne newspapers on the female AFL team and how, yeah, yeah the research behind their the ACL injury rates. Uh, yeah, and, that's yeah huge. Was like, <laughs> it um, was in one of your busta myths.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah, so we know that ACL injuries are higher. Uh, in the AFL in particular, they're like five times um, higher than the rate of men's ACL injuries. Um, and then the big myth is that hormones is the reason behind that. Um, and that's actually not true. Um, so we know that there are so many things that go into this puzzle um, and hormones like, yes, they may play a role, but it's probably only quite a small role. Um, And because that's something that we can't exactly change, um, we want to focus on things that we can change and the things that we can influence. And that is things like our biomechanics, like how we land um, and doing more, like incorporating that training from a younger age, particularly around that puberty and then strength and conditioning um, and like practicing changing of directions. So things like cutting um, and yeah, incorporating more of that sort of stuff into our training The big bummer that I've noticed is that, well, we actually know it from the research as well, That girls um, will pull out of exercise. So they'll stop training around puberty because their bodies change. Um, And that's then again, like shifts what they know and how they can perform with their body and their skills. And then they'll go into sport later on in life. um, And they've essentially like lost that ability to be able to land like they used to, Um, And then because their bodies have changed, so their knee angle's a bit different, um, their muscle composition's changed. um, Yeah, they're just not prepared for that sort of movement. So that is probably more of the puzzle piece that we wanna focus on rather than that, just the hormones alone in terms of ACL.
0: Yeah, and I love how, uh, yeah, I love how you talk about it and how you bust that myth because it's starting to come up a lot. And when people are talking about it in this space, like training with your cycle, this is one of the things that gets mentioned. Is this, you know, we're at increased risk of ACL injuries. Uh, but uh, yeah, you just said it beautifully because it's it's actually that a lot of females they stop sport when they, like you said. When they go through puberty, uh, they tend to not do strength training and conditioning. You don't find a lot of females in the gym, uh, you know, through high school. Uh, And then again, we have the hip, we have the Q angle. So yeah, there's a little bit of a biomechanical, but again, it comes down to like the process and the method, the training, yeah? Yeah, exactly. You kind of strengthen the conditioning, you uh, work with a coach or a practitioner to make sure the body is balanced uh, and you're doing particular exercises that you're reducing that risk. Um,
1: exactly right, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so I really like that buster myth because <laughs> like you said, we can't change that we have a cycle and I think, I think, and I know there's no research really, uh, but it is such a small piece Re- I think if a female's on a strong strength and conditioning program with a balanced functioning body that, um, she's at way less risk. (laughs) It doesn't matter that she has a period.
1: Exactly (laughs) right. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I love it. (laughs) Um, I want to go through a few buster myths. Can we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, great. Uh, and I love the next one is about the missing periods. So missing periods is a normal side effect of, you know, being fit and active. And I know when you're in a weight-based or appearance sport, that that's very common. It's very common. If you are a gymnast or a dancer or a figure skater, um, that even i had lucy bartholomew on the podcast and she's an ultra endurance marathon runner and she said that even in her sport super common uh not so much a weight-based sport but yeah they have to be pretty they're pretty lean and light uh and she said not a lot of females actually have uh their period so let's bust that myth
1: oh man i want to bust this one (laughs) wide open (laughs) Oh, this one kills me. I just die a little bit inside whenever someone says this to me. But um, yeah, missing your period is definitely not a normal side effect of being active. Um, And we 100% know that that is accurate now. So... It was huge, like even five years ago, like people were still being told that missing a period is fine if you're fit not active, <laughs> it's just a normal part. Place with your hormones, it's okay, it doesn't really matter. Um, but period health is such an important indicator of overall health, um, and it's even been spoken about, like this is from the research as a vital sign, um, because it is that vital to our health and our overall functioning, um, and it has huge implications down the road if we are missing periods. Um, due to that like energy imbalance so that energy in and energy out Um, and so down the road it can affect things like our bone mineral density um, our heart health is a huge one um, muscle health everything like we know that these hormones are so important for overall functioning and so missing periods is is quite a big red flag um, that we need to be picking up on in women of any age um, whether it's you know It's okay for our 14 to 16 year old girls to be irregular at the start, but that needs to become regular. Um, And if it's not, if women are missing periods at any age, um, obviously pregnancy is not included in this. Um, But yeah, then it's not normal and that needs to be addressed for sure um, because we really want to avoid those later consequences. Um, And we know that it can have a big impact on performance. And this is the one that I just don't understand Um, And we know that women who are amen or they don't get periods, they perform worse, like, and quite a lot worse than women who have regular periods. And so this one really stumps me and I I just don't get, it's hard to understand now why this is still seen as a normal part of being fit and active um, because it's just not. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, So I think
0: where it comes from is back to the body image conversation uh, to their relationship with food and their body, depending on what sport they're in. Uh, But for me, uh, yeah, just from my dietetic practice and then being in the eating disorder space and then merging the two together, like the training sport world and then the, the clinical eating disorder world. To me, I think they can know that. But if they've been in a sport for so long that has so much disordered yep. eating um, and eating disorders, and they just, they, yeah, I don't think that. You know, it's so important for them to maybe look a certain way uh, that it's yeah, it's a hard one for them yeah. too. And again, yeah, they're not educated about it. There's no conversation about it. They don't actually yeah. understand the importance of you know having that natural cycle, what estrogen and progesterone can do uh, to support performance. Yeah. And then I think, like you said, you know, there's a little bit more research now, but there's actually not a lot because they just won't yeah. study us.
1: I know. I know. <laughs> so, It's
0: changing. It's changing for sure. But yeah. um, Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, it's a hard one because of the, the body of research wasn't there to say, actually, you know what, if we can regulate your cycle, it arrives on time. You know, you have a a healthy cycle. It's going to improve your performance because it just wasn't researched before, but there's a little bit out now. I think I read one about uh, elite, uh, young elite female swimmers uh, that had a cycle did better yeah, than performance.
1: Yeah. 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 That was an interesting, it was like 400 meters, um, the sprints. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, there's one for gymnasts as well in terms of um, their vertical jump height, um, which was interesting, but yes, we definitely need more research for sure. We just always need more research, <laughs> um, but hopefully that'll change. Um, But, yeah, the eating disorder space is an interesting one. Um, And I guess this comes back to, like, the importance of a multidisciplinary team. Um, And, like, quite often we'll get athletes coming in who actually don't feel that comfortable um, talking to people about this. So if someone opens up to me about it, um, like, it's on me to have that conversation and educate them and then to help support them. So whether, like, we go along with the session um, to a sports dietitian or a psych, um, and just make sure that support's there because yeah, it can be a really difficult, um, area to navigate for sure.
0: Yeah. It, um, it's, and it's quite common This low energy availability and they've renamed it. Right. So when I was, uh, in school through university, uh, it was always the female triad yeah. and now they've renamed it to reds, uh, which, uh, And now they're putting a lot more, I saw in the Australian Institute of Sport, they've got a lot of resources. They're putting a lot of attention to it. And this is not just for females, like athletes. Uh, This is just for females in general. Uh, You know, the weekend warrior, all of the females that I work with are uh, have this low energy availability. They're so yeah. undernourished and overtrained that you know they can't recover, they can't improve, they can't get the results that they want. Uh yeah, yeah so we
1: yeah, a lot topic.
0: through the clinic.
1: Uh yeah, yeah, we do. Um which is unfortunate but like you know also kind of understands um how that's happening. Uh, but it's really like it's exciting for me to be able to help change that um, as well. So yeah, I think there is a lot more work um that's being done in that space. Life Gymnastics Australia have actually got a, a body positivity program out now, um, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, I think sports are really starting to take notice that they need to change um, education, like probably from a younger age as well. Um, and I know like Denmark have really great programs in, um, like incorporating education on eating disorders from quite a young age, um, like primary school age. And that has been shown to be a huge preventative factor, um, later on in life. So yeah, hopefully like we can start to incorporate more of that, um, even in our schools, um, and our sporting clubs and things like that.
0: Yeah. So where are, like, where are you curious right now? Like for, for you as a, a practitioner and a chiropractor and an avid researcher, and is there a space that you kind of want to navigate into? Oh man, there's so many. <laughs>
1: um, I suppose like for me looking at more injury reduction strategies. So I'm really interested in kind of that shift of puberty um, and how we can kind of, whether it's looking at the barriers that stop girls, from keeping their participation rates in their sport um, or like why girls don't wanna do that, why they keep dropping out of sport um, or looking at like, you know, what changes does the body actually go through and how is this different in different girls and how can we be better at um, helping them navigate that um, and incorporating more like injury reduction strategies or whether they need more kind of a a play sense of training rather than focus on do this squat this way and it's better for you. Um, Or incorporating more like landing mechanics work. Um, Like we know that men and women tend to land quite differently, um, which has also come into like the injury debate for ACLs. So women will tend to land with a stiffer knee um, and like a straighter torso. And that just makes it more of like a knee dominant activity so they'll tend to use their quads whereas men will land with a, a more bent knee and their t- torso will be more lean forwards um, and this makes more of a hip strategy so men tend to be a lot better at kind of absorbing these forces when they land um, and like the way women land more as their knee dominant or their quad dominant isn't necessarily a bad thing it's just if those quads can't actually handle those forces um, that are going through them when they land and that's when we tend to run into that yeah, increase injury risk um so yeah that for me is kind of where i'm trying to navigate a little bit more and but there's really not much out there um so just super cool though super yeah cool. yeah
0: yeah um yeah definitely. And I think it's such an important space like to take you know uh, to focus what one on females and female physiology just because it's yeah. uh you know where we're, we're we're gaining momentum but again it's only quite a new uh space and then and then even further to go into this you know uh like puberty space where yeah. there's not a lot as well yeah. and That's- even yeah Yeah, and then to focus on, no, just to focus then on, okay, so how can we keep them moving? How can we keep them, like, how can we connect them to their body? How can they build trust with their body? How can they build stronger, more resilient bodies so we can reduce, you know, the risk of injury when, like, you know, they want to pick up running or, you know, even if they want to... Get pregnant one day you know do yeah. they have a stronger resilient body that that allows them to do that and so I think it's such a cool space that you you are super curious about
1: <laughs> yeah we'll see yeah. we'll see how so we <laughs>
0: what is like what does the research say now like what are the could you talk about like just a couple of the barriers that you know they that young females face in that stage and then maybe talk about yeah, some of the things that the research is finding like helpful, uh, to, uh, get them to continue to play sport or to move their body and yeah, what's, what's happening in that space. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so when we look at like younger girls participation versus, um, our more mature women, like it's going to be a little bit different. So, Our younger girls tend to be more body sensitive um, and so they are embarrassed about their bodies. Um, We've got body image issues playing into it as well. Um, Breasts are a big one. Um, And also trying, they're more afraid to try something new, um, which is a bummer. So in terms of research for how we can change that, um, there's not a whole, whole lot, but there are great programs out there that are actually targeting um, like this sort of awareness to young girls. So um, like there's really good programs in Australia. Um, I know that change our game is doing a lot of work. If you're aware of that with Bridie O'Donnell, she's amazing. I have a massive girl crush on her. She's <laughs> listening. <laughs> um uh, there's also, like, Girls Make Your Move, um, which is huge in Victoria. Uh, so there's definitely, like, a changing space. But I, in terms of the research for how we can actually shift this, I don't think there's been much done. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone has found anyone to shoot me an email after this podcast. Yeah, um, but share I'm not it with us. <laughs> Yes, please, please. Um, but I'm not aware of there being much done um, in terms of that. I think like the big one's gonna be body image, um, which as I mentioned that Denmark study, um, which would be great if we could do something like that in Australia. Unfortunately, a lot of the research is based around um, like emerging athletes as well. So we don't really have a lot on just general school girls, like a general population, um, which you know is also where we need to be. Uh, we wanna target this as well, like physical, um, Activity is not just important for elite athletes. Like everyone should be doing it um, and it's beneficial to literally everyone. So, yeah, just breaking down those barriers um, to help our girls stay active and doing things that they enjoy and things that they love um, and finding a way to move that they love and enjoy, uh, I think is going to be really important going forwards.
0: Yeah, there's so much in that. There's, and there's so many conversations that need to be yeah. to be had around – you know, we can start at like the cycle and talking about it and being open and educating and understanding what's going on with our cycle and, you know, the periods matter and it's normal. And like, we can, we can work in that space. You mentioned the breasts and you did Mm -hmm. a a post and wrote a blog on support your breast friends, (laughs) which I really love, love. (laughs) but it's like, and it was around the search for this like perfect sports bra of like what's actually going on and
1: we're not even told about that. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? Like we look at how our feet move, like we get shoes fitted. Why isn't it the same for our breasts? Um, But even like just
0: going through it, like why did no one ever have a conversation with us around (laughs) like our breasts, you know, that, you know, how to like look after them, how to move with them, how to choose a bra how like, All of these things, we just, when there's no conversation around them and then what often happens is that a female, she'll get breasts and if they're quite big, she'll then change the posture of trying to hide it, especially if a lot of her friends haven't gotten it. So I have found in my work and through my own experience, my thoracic spine right behind my bra strap, like right behind my breast is the, the spot that is like it's sticky. It's hard. Like I didn't have the range yeah. there. I didn't have the control there because you want to close on down and you want to change yeah. that, that posture of the spine.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Breast is a, a really interesting topic and there is actually really great um, research being gone expressed now as well. So, um like we know breasts move quite a lot so when we jump they can move up to 17 centimeters up and down um running it's like around 10 centimeters um and like how many steps you take in a minute is also associated with like how much breasts move as well so like for runners that can be quite a big consideration in terms of finding a good fit um because we know like friction injuries from bras cause just as many complaints is what they do like an ill-fitting like bouncy bra essentially Um, and then we know that like it's a huge percentage I think it's over 80% of women are not wearing the right sports the right bra size (laughs) which is huge Um, and then you have nostalgia so breast pain coming into it and that's another barrier for women to, to exercise And like we generally see the nostalgia and that breast pain um, caused by the hormonal influences, which generally kick in around ovulation and taper off in that phase one. Um, And that's kind of the time when movement is good, but a lot of women will pull back um, from doing any movement because their breasts hurt, which sucks. Um, And we know that that can be negated by finding a a good fitting sports bra. Um, And so That's something that I always recommend to women if they're complaining of breast pain to get a a well-fitted sports bra, um, which can be such a confusing thing to navigate. Um, And like quite an intimidating thing to go to the shop and getting asked by these older ladies like, oh, do you want me to come in with a measuring tape and (laughs) measure around you? Um, But there, are No, darling, you're in the wrong size. No,
0: darling, no. Just like- (laughs) Yeah, just get in here, get your hand in here. Pull
1: it up here. Pull it up here. Oh my gosh. I know. Oh my gosh. What an experience. Um, But there are really good services now as well. So we're lucky around the corner from us. um, I'm going to give a a cheeky plug to a a place called She Science. uh, And they are a specialist breastfeeding services. So um, they will get you to run on the treadmill, trying on bras. And they've got like motion analysis software to look at how your breasts are moving and what's going to be, breast for your breasts essentially so um yeah i think that that space is definitely changing but it's it's definitely a common conversation that i have with a lot of women through the door um and like your breasts are going to change through your lifetime too so being aware that like you know what worked for you in your teens is obviously not going to work for you in your 30s and not going to work for you in your 50s so um yeah just making sure you know we're getting fitted regularly like um, you know, just as we go to get feet fitted and trying on different shoes, like we should be doing the same for our bra. So
0: yeah, yeah, it's very important conversation.
1: It so is. So yeah. you
0: need to. What would you say if uh, you have a female that maybe her breasts are a barrier, or she runs a lot, or she experiences breast pain? What are a couple of things that you would uh,
1: recommend for her? Uh, so the first one, I mean, looking at where it is in her cycle as well and seeing whether there are other tweaks that we can make um, that might be contributing to that. Um, and then obviously going along to get fitters. Um, depending on what sport she's doing as well might determine what type of bra. So like runners will tend to go a um, a less... Um, like reduced bounce so they'll allow more of a bounce because we know that that excessive reduced bounce is associated with more like those friction injuries um so because in runners because our breasts are going to be moving more we're more prone to get those friction injuries so going for more of like a you know 50 to 60 percent bounce reduction is probably going to be best but um for a lot of like a high heavy impact jumping sports something around a 70 percent bounce reduction might be better um, so it's going to be sport-dependent as well, movement-dependent. Or um, for our yogis, like a crop top might just be enough. Um, lucky things, I can't get away with just wearing a crop top, but um, some people can, so I'm a bit jealous of that. But, um, yeah, and then, um, yeah, seeing how that goes, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. need <laughs> to know where you are in your cycle because it can be linked to that. and Definitely, then. Yeah get fitted, find the sports bra that supports your activity. Yeah. I really like that. Okay. Yeah. The last piece I want to talk to you about that comes up quite a lot is pelvic floor.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Big topic.
0: <laughs> I know. And I know we could have a whole podcast on the yeah. pelvic floor. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just want to touch on it a little bit because I'll often see women that, you know, a lot of women that I work with have had children, they're in their mm. like late thirties in their forties or their fifties. Uh, and the pattern that I've seen in the last 10 years is that they have chronic lower back pain and they have hip pain. And what's happened is that they've been told to like squeeze and like do their Kegels and hold everything tight and like take a big breath in and tense everything. And then over the last four or five years, I have sent a lot of them to pelvic floor specialists and actually they're too on they're squeezing yeah. their vagina too tight. Yeah, it can <laughs> <They've> got, happen. <laughs> they've got hypertonic muscles yeah. down in their pelvic floor. Uh and you know they're not releasing all of their pee and they can't turn everything off so their hip is like their hip flexes on all the time. Yes. It's pulling time. and yeah. so. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the pelvic floor and like what you've seen uh and how women can get curious about it and why why it's important.
1: Yeah. I guess like the first thing um, it's important to recognize like the pelvic floor is just a normal skeletal muscle, right? Just like your bicep or your hamstring, like it can become tight. It can become deconditioned. Sometimes it needs to be strengthened. Sometimes it needs to help relax. Um, And so like once women kind of realize, oh yeah, I actually didn't think about it as just a normal muscle. Like it kind of makes sense that we need to alter how we train it. Um, just as we do any other skeletal muscle. So another thing is that there's essentially two different sections that we can split it up into. So we've got our deeper layer, um, and this is the layer that essentially acts as that hammock or that sling for basically keeping in all our internal organs. Um, And then that more outer superficial layer, um, and so that's essentially what holds in our wee um, and it does help like with the, the deeper layer as well to holding all that internal stuff. Um, but they essentially work together to just support everything inside of us, <laughs> which is quite a big role. Um, but luckily they're helped out by other muscles as well. So we know they work in conjunction with our abdominal muscles, um, through our back muscles as well. Um, and they've got attachments like all through our lumbar spine and down into our coccyx. Um, so, in terms of training, like we need to think of all those team players. So, we need to think of our abdominals and our breathing, works with our diaphragm too. Um, and to train it like in different positions, just like we do different muscles too, and doing different tasks. Um, and so, it's going to be um, like different depending on what stage you're in, um, like whether you're postpartum. Um, but we also see issues arising in our younger girls and our, um, you know, like 13, 14 year old girls are still getting pelvic floor issues. Um, and so it's not necessarily just something that older women deal with. And that was kind of where like my big myth busting was aimed at. Um, because we see like a lot of young girls coming through who are just so embarrassed and they feel like they're abnormal to be experiencing this, but in some sports there it's more common than not to be experiencing it so and it's quite an underreported thing huh. so what the research says it's actually probably higher so oh, <laughs> like wow. gymnasts, for example yeah um gymnast, for example it's estimated around 67 percent of gymnasts um report leakage of urine during activity um like 50 percent of basketballers 30 percent of volleyballers um, and like overall, all female athletes, it's around 50%. Um, but honestly, I think that's higher because uh, we know it's definitely underreported. So it is huge. That's cool. And again, it's just... It's so crazy, isn't it? And it's just not spoken about. Um, it's not acknowledged. It's just brushed under the carpet. Like, well, it's just like out. if you're going to have a baby, okay, do your kegels or do your yeah.
0: floor exercises. Exactly. the conversation starts. And no one's talking about, no, actually, young female athletes like gymnasts who are so strong yeah.
1: exactly, yeah. Have,
0: have a leakage because yeah. like, Why? why is this? Why are girls that are... 14 years old what's happening here
1: yeah and that's we don't know okay (laughs) there is not much research Now, it might be linked to that like coming back to low energy availability potentially um and that's because like our pelvic floor has uh like quite a lot of estrogen receptors um and so yeah so it can shift um like how our pelvic floor works essentially um but we're not super sure on that so don't don't quote me on that in a couple no, of times in my no, time.
0: I'm just like, yeah, for myself, I'm so curious about, yeah. you know, if, uh, you, if you, obviously, how do you like, you said you can train it or you said you need to like strengthen it. So what does that look like? Because just squeezing and holding for a second, that's not enough. <laughs> and nah, then yeah. being strong and like lifting weights and or being a gymnast, that's not enough. So
1: yeah. So there's things like we can either do targeted strengthening or relaxation, like depending on what you need. Um, and there's like a bunch of special tools for that that you can use. A lot of women actually find it hard to contract their pelvic floor. Um, and so it's, it's not uncommon for women to come in and you can say, oh, contract the pelvic floor or do a Kegel or whatever the cue is. And they actually can't do it, um, even though they've been told to be doing it their whole life. They can't do it. Um, so, really, just like re educating women on how they can actually um, contract their pelvic floor. So, something I use rather than just doing a kegel is to holding passing gas um, and trying to hold that for as long as possible um, and maximally contracting it as well. But we've got to make sure, like just with any other exercise, it's progressing. So like progressing from a three second hold all the way up to a 10 second hold, doing a certain amount of reps and then progressing the position. So doing it laying on your back doing it in a squat position is often quite good. Um, and then we've got like that re-educating um, for the movement, the wider movement. So like contracting before impact um, or contracting before sneezing as well can be quite helpful. Um, but again, like that's going to change if we need to instead relax it. <laughs> And that's a whole other, um, strategy. So yeah, a lot of it is just doing targeted the, the same way we, you know, target a hamstring muscle, do targeted work there. And then also bring in the wider muscles that help that hamstring or help that pelvic floor, um, and doing some breathing work, um, you know, some jumps and lands and, um, slowly progressing it that way. So yeah, acknowledging it, it's a, it's a team player and it doesn't work on its own is probably, um, the biggest thing. Particularly for women in sport, I think.
0: Yeah, beautiful. I love that. I think that, uh, you know, I think that it's important for all women to get curious about it and, yep. um, yeah, to to work with a pelvic floor specialist or a practitioner that you know can help support them, especially if they're experiencing like the leakage or, you know, they're experiencing like back pain and hip pain. That it's all yeah. connected, so it's important to to get curious about it.
1: Okay, yeah, we could just fun.
0: talk about, we could talk for so long about all of these things, but um, I'm going to, we're going to finish with my questions.
1: All right, let's do it.
0: Okay, five <laughs> questions. Why do you train?
1: I train, um, well, essentially to, to know my body and to, to push it um, and to remember how amazing it can be and how strong it can be. Um, but I also move because it's fun. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that word's come up quite a bit today. It's important. It's important. It's very important. It's important. Yeah. Okay, number two, you have a billboard in Times Square. It's permanent. It's going to stay there forever. Uh,
1: What does it say on it? So a, a life motto that I try to live by is take your life seriously, but don't take life too seriously. Love I think it. that kind of sums me up as a person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very driven, but like I'm also, you know, yeah, the joyful side, see fun in everything.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, number three, what do you like that no one else really likes?
1: Okay, so this one is a bit of a dangerous one to share. I um, might get a few requests, but I really like building flat pack furniture. <laughs> So, yeah, i i recently moved and rediscovered my love for putting together ikea furniture um so there's something about it i don't know there's a system like it's yeah i don't know i haven't had any issues with it so okay. i really love it but please like thank god i'm in australia and you can't just ship over your stuff yeah. for me to build and i'll yeah, ship yeah, it back yeah, no.
0: <laughs> Number dangerous four, that. Yeah, that is dangerous because no, I've never heard that before. No one likes building <laughs> Ikea furniture. Uh, number four, what
1: three things would you like to be remembered for? Um, this one was a struggle for me to answer, I think. Um, but I think like number one on the remember for being a part of the conversation, um, but really importantly, like the action of progressing women in sport as well. Um, so that's my number one. Number two, um, like I don't know how to describe this, but whatever the opposite of complacency is, <laughs> I want to be a member for that. So like always striving um to do my best. Um and like particularly in the area of my work, like challenging my biases, um, and like, you know, new emerging evidence means I might need to change the way I practice, but like also applying this to day to day life and finding the little things in life that make you smile and, um, you know, doing little things to make my partner happy and other people happy and um, just being a reason for people to smile, I suppose. I love um, <laughs> And number three, um, like, I guess remembered for being someone who's kind um, and who's positive to be around and knows how to have fun. Like the work staff is really important to me and it's a big driving force behind, my life at the moment, um, and it's like I'm, um, I'm quite ambitious of where I want to go with it. Um, but you know, overall, I'm um, Phoebe Henry. I'm just a just a girl, really. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I hope I'm, I'm remembered for just being kind and easy to talk to. So, yeah, I think that sums it up. <laughs> Beautiful, Phoebe.
0: Ah, last one. What day are you on? I'm on day three. Day three yeah nice i'm on day five yeah we're in the same phase Mm -hmm. phase one uh phoebe henry thank you for doing the work that you do for showing up in this space for being curious around female physiology and for wanting to keep us in sport make us better at sport uh Thank you for being kind and generous with your time uh, and for
1: coming on the podcast. Where can people find you? (laughs) Uh, You can find me. I'm probably most active on Instagram, I would say. So uh, my tag is at Phoebs underscore Cairo. So it's P-H-O-E. People get that one confused quite a bit. Uh, Phoebs underscore Cairo. And then our clinic page is health high performance. Um, and we've got our website as well, healthhp.com.au. We've got quite a few blogs up there, um, a lot of running tips, and you know the breast biomechanics blogs up there. There's a lot of great resources um, that we um, have available for you guys. So yeah, Phoebe, thank you. You know thank what's you really so funny? It's I fun. um
0: I forgot to turn the lights on in my living room, <laughs> and now it's like seven
1: twelve pm. It's getting it's a bit dark, dark isn't it? <laughs> So I'm sitting, <laughs> sitting in the mood lighting, baby, just, <laughs> just setting the <laughs> mood for the night, which
0: is, <laughs> yeah, I'm already, light's low, you know, it's <laughs> a really bedtime. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. so grateful, Phoebe, uh, for connecting in with you and for the work that you're doing and for coming on here and sharing. Uh, we should do it again and we'll di- we should dive deeper into particular pieces of the research. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, came for that.
1: Yeah, i will blabbed on for ages. So, yeah, anytime no, I you love want to it. Shout, me okay, <laughs> thank you so much, Phoebe. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Phoebe.
0: If you have any questions, you can connect with me on Instagram at AmyKateBow. I also write a daily blog. You can sign up on my website, amykatebow.com. Thank you for making the space to listen today. Remember, take the long way home. Bye for now.